0: Welcome to Thesis, a podcast about trends in higher education systems in international spheres, exploring the field of higher education across the world. I'm your host, Kelly Davis. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Ma Yin about first-generation college students in China and their transitions from university to the workforce. We speak about the context of China's higher education system and labor market, Dr. Ma's key points regarding the first-generation college student experience in China and an article Dr. Ma co-authored with his colleagues using the psychology of working theory to understand which psychological factors impact the job satisfaction felt by first-generation college students. Dr. Ma Yin is a research professor at Lanzhou University's School of Philosophy and Sociology in China, conducting research in the areas of youth studies, including youth employment and identity, and the sociology of work and education. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thesis. I have the honor of being joined today by Dr. Ma Yin, who is a research professor at Langzhou University um, in the philosophy and sociology uh, department there. So Dr. Ma, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Candy. Thank you for having me here.
0: Yes, we're super excited to talk about uh, your work looking at yeah. first generation college students in China. But yes. before we kind of get into the details of the article, I'm Curious to know what led you to focus on this topic and look at specifically first-generation students, and we're going to be talking about careers and job satisfaction today. So, uh, what what kind of drew you to looking at that particular piece of kind of their higher education or educational journey?
1: Okay, that's great, and I think the you you know the the first generational students here in my research and based on the international, you know, audience, that is the first in their immediate family to attend a college or university. Actually, this is a very large population in Chinese universities, especially in the, you know, the hierarchy universities, such as the Peking University or Tsinghua University. The proportion of these students, this type this group of students, Is quite low despite the government initiated a lot of policies or launched a lot of initiatives to reverse this trend. But the figures show that this part of students compared to their middle-class counterparts still represented a very low percentage in Chinese universities. And actually, the challenges faced by this group of students in my research and also in elsewhere, that is the academic preparation, the financial barriers, the navigating the college life and the social culture capitals. And sometimes from the psychology perspective, they even feels a certain level of isolation. So this is the challenges. So I think that we need to pay more attention to this group of students.
0: Right. So um, what you're talking about really echoes, I think, a lot of the situations for many first-generation or first-in-family students that we're seeing, at least, um, kind of around the globe and speaking with other people who research this topic and work with these students. but uh, And you've touched on this a little bit. So who kind of are the first-generation college students in China? Where do they come from? Which higher education institutions do they attend?
1: Okay, great. And I think the definition of first-generational college students or university students is unclear based on the literatures. I think that is disputable and causing problems due to a lack of agreement. A narrow definition of first-generation college students is those whose parents have no college or university experience at all. But a broader definition includes students whose parents did not complete a university education, but they may have some university experience like earning a community college certificate or an associate degree. But uh, you, in mainland China context, that we do not have the community college uh, like its U.S. counterparts, or we do not have the associate degree in mainland China. I know that in, in Hong Kong, they have the associate degree uh, before the college. So in this part, in this work that I define the uh, the first generation college students is, they are the first in their immediate family to attend a college or universities. And the most uh, most, uh, first generation college students in China come from the rural parts of China. And I could show you the figure that is uh, data from the uh, Chinese college students learning and development tracking survey shows that between uh, 2011 and 2015, First-generation college students, this group of students, made up 17 to 75 of undergraduate students in China, with nearly 17 come from the rural areas. Although first-generation students make up a large proportion of undergraduate population, only 4% of them attend the higher rankings of universities. In Chinese higher education institutions. Nearly 42% study at the local universities. A survey uh, that is updated in 2019 from the Institute of Higher Education Research at the East Normal Universities in China that they found that rural students made up 34% of this sample. Looking at parents' educational levels, the sample percentage where well, you know both uh, parental education was high school or below that is almost 167 uh, so this is the data from the from the 2019 a recent data that is released in 2022 20, 20, that is only 17 percent of college students in China came from the rural areas this is a signi- this is a significant drop from the 1920s where at that time over 13 percent of college students were from the rural areas similarity the proportion of rural students among freshmen admitted to key universities is showing a downward trend so this is this is a basic know the data i show you longitudinally thank you kelly
0: yes and and i'm curious has there also been uh, so let me make sure I understood correctly. So there has been a drop in the number of students who attend higher education from rural areas between since the 1920s. Did I hear that correctly?
1: Uh, no. Uh, and I think that is uh, since uh, uh, since the nineteen twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're You're right.
0: Okay, okay. Was well, there also kind of generally, were there any gem- demographics uh, shifts? So do you now have more people in general living in urban settings in China, or is it is it really kind of a very stark de- decrease as well, because maybe the demographics have stayed more or less the same, or the populations have stayed more or less the same? Yeah.
1: Yes, I and I think that is, uh, you know, in uh, since the 1918s, the Chinese government launched the, the the, the, the one-child policy that is only one you know uh, only one family uh, are allowed to have only one children so this is a demographic change that is uh, before the implementation of this type of policy that is every families could have you know uh, two or three children but after this policy implementation that is uh, the 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 number of children that is reduced. Yeah, probably this is the the demographic change background, the policy background of this research. But but besides what you mentioned here, that is the, the the child policy or a demographic policy. That is, I wanted to show that even in this type of situation, that is, one one family have one children means that these children could enjoy lots of you know uh, resources that were shared equally or equally by their you know uh, previous generations so in in this case that students from the first generation college or from the uh, from the rural areas still cannot enjoy the same uh, educational privileges as they are you know the second or third generational cohorts
0: yeah that definitely demonstrates the stark difference there that's a really good point so that kind of gives us maybe a over Overall, sort of demographic idea of of the population in China in terms of rural and urban, um, and how that plays into uh, first-generation college students and where they're coming from. Let we'll now go into kind of the background about higher education in China, and then also the labor market. So focusing on yeah. higher education in China, what do you think are some key characteristics that we should know that will help us kind of contextualize the experiences of first generation college students?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, maybe the five points I wanted to, you know, briefly mentioned, uh, four points I want to briefly mention about the, the four key things that we need to know about higher education in China if we wanted to have more understanding about the first-generation cohorts. That is, yeah, frankly speaking, this group of students are at the disadvantage in terms of their family economic, culture, social, and the political capital compared to their non-first-generational cohorts. They have, but they have the same starting point for the higher education if they, they are admitted to the higher education institutions. This suggests some level of fairness in the opportunity. However, fairness at the starting point may not mean fairness in the process and outcomes. It is worth exploring if first-generational students are hindered by their disadvantaged family background in their overall student's career development. Some points I want you to mention, uh, for example, that is teacher-students or peer interactions in developing students' abilities. Interactions between students and teachers or between peers are explanatory social interactions, but also have implement cultural characteristics. These, interac- these interactions are essential way for universities to access educational influence and significantly impact students' development. But how about the the performance of first-generation students? There there may be some factors to consider regarding first-generation students' academic performance during their time at the universities. For example, do their professional or core abilities improve? Do they identify with their chosen institutions and majors? Are there differences in 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 these aspects compared to other students' groups, such as their, their non-first-generation counterparts. One particular thing I wanted to mention here is that the impact of their families. Families impact first-generational students mainly through motivation for enrollment, resources, support, and emotional interactions. For example, in their motivations, parents who participate in college planning and lead by example, strength their children's autonomy in attending the universities. However, the if families restrict their children's choices, their motivation to attend college may weaken. So this is a very tricky, tricky situation. In terms of the resource supportment, first generation college students lack sufficient family capital, including you know economic, culture and social capital. And I think this type of capitals is very important in today's society, especially you know in uh, when it comes to the labor markets, because you know social capital plays a very important role to help students to get their you know, the, the jobs. This is a very important thing in China. And the last one that I want to mention is in emotional interactions. Families can provide strong emotional support for their first-generation college students or contribute to, to negative emotions. But the most tricky or most interesting here is families can support students almost nothing, but the emotional interactions. So in this case, that this group students may feel a kind of real conflict or pressure to care back their families. They need to, you know, on one hand, they need to experience or suffer the isolation in the universities, but on the other hand, they need to care about their family members because no one in their families attended attended universities before, so this is, this is context information. I briefly mentioned here.
0: That's perfect. Um, so the, we've got four points there that uh, these students are have these disadvantages in terms of economic capital, and it's worth kind of exploring what exactly is in their way. There, the second one is that the there's a something to explore between the interactions of students and teachers, how it impacts their development and mm-hmm. academic performance, and then the third is. The kind of um, the the influence of families on motivation for enrollment, and then finally the emotional piece. Um, so yeah. this is what's all going on for first generation college students while they're you know applying for university and then attending university. And your focus and um, in, in your research is really about the the labor market. So is it yeah. can can you kind of set up the stage for us a bit? and describe the state of the Chinese labor market? Um, and in general, what are some of the challenges that higher education graduates face when they when they finish higher education and are looking for work?
1: Yeah, this is a very good question. That is, you know, at present, I think that China's labor market is facing challenges from various factors, both domestically and internationally. That is, domestically, the main issues are a lack of internal driving forces such as labor shortages and aging population and the income distribution gaps. Internationally, the main factors are increased the external uncertainties. Since 2018, events like US-China trade friction and the COVID-19 pandemic have caused turbulence in the labor market. And uh, this type of turbulence or uncertainties make the situation increasingly precarious. However, technological advantages and artificial intelligence also bring opportunities and challenges to the labor market. That is the students or, or higher education institutions need to respond quickly to this, to this type of you know, social changes. China's labor market is currently experience a combined impact of insufficient internal forces and external uncertainties. At the end of 2019, the Central Economic Work Conference emphasized the importance of maintaining stability in the following years, with employment stability being the top priority. This shows that potential employment risks have caught the attention from the the top leaders, especially since the outbreak of the pandemic where stabilizing employment has become a central task. Uh, And the fifth plenary section of the 19th Central Committee outlined the direction of the 14th Five-Year Plan, strengthening the need to achieve more comprehensive and high-quality employment, improve people's income levels, and keep residential income growth at the same time with the you know, in parallel to the economic growth. So this is the brief introduction about the labor market situation in China. Overall, this is, you know, uh, Chinese labor market is facing challenges because, you know, Chinese society has entered into the, uh, you know, the aging population period, we face the labor shortages in terms of the young people. This is domestically speaking, and uh, externally that we face a lot of uncertainty. So and this background, I think that uh, five challenges faced by higher education graduates here. The first one, that is intense job competition. China's higher education system produces a large number of graduates each year. Leading to fierce competition in the job market. In some popular majors in, and industries, there's a huge oversupply, making it difficult for graduates to find the decent jobs. The second one is I think that is the skill mismatch. There might be a mismatch between the pace of higher education development or higher education expansion and the market demand. Sometimes graduate skills and the knowledge may not align with the actual job requirements, making it extremely difficult for them to find the suitable jobs. And I think the third one is the salaries and the benefits. For some industries and the positions, newly graduated college students face, you know, relatively low salaries. They might need to start with entry-level positions and gradually accumulate experience and skills to achieve better career development and pay. The fourth one, I think that is particularly interesting, that is geographic limitations. Some regions or cities may have fewer job opportunities, such as, you know, the Hingland universities, Hingland areas, but uh, some popular cities such as uh, Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou or Shenzhen, they they could attract many graduates. This leads to an imbalance, I think, in job opportunities across regions, and some graduates may need to consider relocation or face difficulty finding employment in the you know, fewer job opportunity regions. The last one I think is uh, I need to mention that is entrepreneurial uh, pressures. Some graduates hope to achieve their career goals through entrepreneurship. However, entrepreneurship is inherently risky and uncertainty. Students students may face challenges such as market competition, funding, and all resources. So in this case, imagine that if students from the one, you know, the the poor family background, or working class students, or students from the rural areas, or they happen to be the first generation students uh, in their family, they wanted to, you know, to launch the entrepreneur business. I think it's extremely difficult for them to do this type of jobs because, you know, the the things that I mentioned above. Yeah, this is brief introduction about higher education institutions here and also the challenges that is faced by the students.
0: Yeah, and I have a couple of follow-up small follow-up questions. For example, mm-hmm. you mentioned that first challenge in entering the labor market is the intense competition, especially in some particular majors. Which areas of study are a lot of students participating in and then having trouble kind of finding or competing with one another um, with that, those degrees in the workforce?
1: Yeah. For example, the uh, as as far as I know, that is the, the majors, especially the humanities and the social sciences, and in some business, you know, uh, majors such as uh, accounting, uh, students in these areas, that is they face a uh, uh, great difficulties when they enter the labor market. But for students, if they majored in the science or the engineering uh, or the artificial intelligence, I think at present, I have to mentioned that at present it seems that they do not have much difficulty in entering the labor market but we need to we need to remember one fact that is higher education systems expansion very quickly in china that is at at this point i have to say that this type of majors are easy to find jobs but maybe one year later the situation has changed
0: Hmm. Um. And because I find it really interesting that there's actually a labor sh- shortage, and as you mentioned, with the, kind of the one-child policy, there there's less people kind of of working age, or it's moving in that direction. Um. As the generations when you had more than one child, um, and so they have you know much larger populations as they begin to grow older uh, and so on, and and so you have this you have a lack of, you know, you have the labor shortage, and then you also have the skills mismatch, which I think we see in other places as well. And yet, so it seems like there's just really this big kind of, as you say, imbalance that must yeah. be happening with the the geography and specifically also these these majors. Do you have any comments about that, about about how it's I mean that in some ways, it, based on maybe the numbers, when it comes to the labor sh- shortage, it seems like mm. students yeah. should have you know more abilities. They should have they should be able to kind of advocate for higher salaries, but but they're not able to. Do you have any comments just on that kind of uh, tension or paradox?
1: Yeah, uh, very sharp uh, you know observations. I have to say that actually, on one hand. It seems very, you know, a paradox. It seems very tricky. That is on one hand, we see that uh, uh, the industries lack, lack the, the, the labors, but on the other, we find we, we could observe that each year, uh, high education systems here produce large number of students. So why, you know, probably you uni- need, we need to mention, or we need to ask a question: that is, why students, that is, oversupply of these students, come to these areas that uh, could fill the uh, labor forces there. Actually, this is this is the this is a current project that I'm engaged in. That is, I wanted to explore. There's a kind of mismatch between the labor markets and higher education institutions. That is, on one hand, the industries complain about they do not have much adequate or skillable or employable students but on the other higher education institutions produce the large number of students each year i think there is a mismatch but why the mismatch you know the, the happens or how this type of situations arises i think the most important factor is the demand and the supply mismatch this is a very important one and also the other one is also the other one is currently what the students learned or what the university teach to the students cannot align with the demands of the labor markets. But I think in in labor market from our, you know, uh, preliminary analysis that is in the labor market, that is lots of, lots of companies need need, uh, employees who could do the work immediately when they fill the positions. But actually the students learned at the universities, most of them, or the majority of them are the academic for the academic purpose due to not have the hands-on experience so at this point we need to mention about or we need to express uh, we need to stress the importance of experiential learning that is students need to have the inter- need to have the internship opportunities at the industries before their graduation and after they accumulated lots of, you know, the, the hands-on experience or the, the first things experience, they know better about the labor market, they know better about the what the employers needs and how they can apply what they need or what they learned at the universities into the industries. Yeah, this is important thing I need to see.
0: Mhm. Um and uh, thank you for for that. And it's interesting I it's, I used to be a career services advisor and uh we were in the US and we were of course seeing very similar uh <laughs> similar issues, Mm -hmm. and they continue today. Um, People are always talking about it. And the idea of do higher education institutions need to adapt um, to kind of what the labor market now needs and what employers now need, but then trying to figure out what exactly is it that employers need is also (laughs) an adventure in itself, so to speak.
1: Yeah, mismatch.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, So and then we so these are the kind of the labor market challenges, the challenges to higher education graduates. How do first generation students fit in whether, you know, you mentioned the geographic limitations. And since so many of them come from uh, since many of them are in rural areas, I imagine that's a piece of it. So if you want to talk about maybe some of their specific some of the specific things that first-generation students deal with when they are uh, approaching entering the workforce after graduation. And if you have any thoughts on maybe what they, what also, not just the challenges, but what they might be able to bring to the labor market, I'm thinking about that mismatch and the need for the experiential learning. uh, I mean, or any skills in general, uh, is there anything that maybe the these this group of students is able to provide to the labor market? So lots of questions in there, but the general mm. idea is um, what what's happening specifically with first generation students as they look for jobs.
1: Okay. Okay. You mean the specific difficulties or particular challenges that they yes. face. Okay, great. And I think there are several points. I think the first one, I think that is disposition, the disadvantages before before graduation or when they start their careers in the labor market. This group of students may have less ideal academic performance after, uh, before graduation with lower cognitive abilities in reading, mathematical, and critical thinking compared to their peers. They also face more financial pressures and more likely to give up the opportunity to attend university due to their affordable tuition fees. When choosing a major, they tend to prioritize practically and draw prospects favor fields like healthy sciences and business, while avoiding disciplinaries such as humanities and social sciences. You know, this type of university, uh, this type of majors, the the they are the. They are the poor majors. I have to see that. So students wanted to earn the hot money could immediately get the huge number of money to support themselves, their families. This is one thing that is that is I need to mention. The other one, you know, the the, the second one is adaptation different development difficulties. Mm. First generation college students experience the you know the the the. A very daunting school to work transitions face challenges in academics both in academics and also in practical science if they want to if they you know the navigate their job market uh, interpersonal relationships works financials and decision makings they may be more uh, said when they are in the class they may be more salient in class uh, silent in class avoiding asking questions or seeking help from teachers and prof- uh, or peers due to their lack of confidence in their academic abilities and the preparations so they also experience high st- levels of stress compared to their peers with better financial backgrounds and also they need to work part-time jobs with longer hours so this type of this type of disadvantage or this type of habitus if i use the produce, Term that they may last. They may they may have stu- they may have the lasting impact when they transition from the university to their first jobs. They are more you know psychologically vulnerable, receive less support, have lower life satisfaction, and more likely to seek uh, mental health treatment, struggling with anxiety, depression, and the suppress- uh, 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 and and stress. So this type of psychological disadvantages may last. When they, you know, transition to the jobs, and uh, also due to this, uh, uh, you know, uh, also due to these disadvantages, disadvantages they inherited from their families or be- uh, or the gap in the overall abilities, these type of students ex- exhibit weaker practical, communicational, or innovative thinking abilities. They generally have lower language or computer proficiency. Few artistic talents or weak psychological quality, insufficient professional knowledge. So, coupled with inadequate career planning guidance system at school and insufficient social support, their employment prospects are not optimistic. I have to say that based on the preliminary analysis of my recent. Research that this group of students they face extremely and particularly difficulty when they you know either they search the, uh, the uh, search for their first jobs or or performing the first jobs. The fourth one I want, yeah. Sorry, the fourth yeah, one. <laughs> the fourth one I wanted to mention that is the maybe lack of awareness. First generation students are at the one are at the disadvantaged position in career planning and decision-making compared to their, you know, now 1st generational students. They have less access to social capital, in, you know, in the university enrollment, or uh, they seldom utilize connections, information resources, or opportunities during colleges to, end, to enhance their career aspirations. They do not realize the potential career opportunities that informal communication and networking can generate. Additionally, they face limitations in opportunities and resources, making it difficult to achieve their career goals. They also display a clear disadvantage in self-advocacy uh, positioning of career information or career maturity. This is a very important aspect. I want you to mention here that compared to the non-first generational students, their career matur- uh, m- maturity, that is they know they know more about the, the labor market or the current uh, uh, economic situations in China, that is this type of abilities or maturities are are, are still low. Uh, because for this type of students, I think institutions have the essential role to play in ensuring these students have the opportunity to succeed and contribute to increasingly diverse and a global workforce. But societies probably have this type of senses to have these students, but due to the students, this, this group of students have the lack of the awareness that they could uh, utilize, they could uh, make the most use of these resources at universities. So in this case, we could see that uh, although we have some type of friendly social environment to help these type of students to succeed, to help them navigate from the uh, you know the, the university to school, but due to their type of awareness or lack of awareness to initiate, to use, to make use of these uh, resources, they face extremely difficulty in transition.
0: Mm. And so- we have the context now of exactly what first generation students are up against. Um, and now we'll turn to your study to, to really look at, um, to really look at what your findings were uh, and kind of your approach to to looking at this issue. So you surveyed over 1,200 students in specifically Northwestern China, and you used uh, the psychology of working theory to understand which psychological factors might impact the job satisfaction specifically uh, felt by first-generation college students. Can you, before we talk about the findings, can you explain how the theory works and which Which factors you specifically looked at in this study. Okay, great.
1: The theory that I used in this study is psychology of working theory, and I will use PWT here. This theory was proposed in 2019 to understand the working lives of individuals in general, and those with a marginalized status in particular. The aim of this framework is to explain how psychosocial factors such as economic constraints, marginalizations, work volitions, and the credibility predict the well being of individuals through the quality of work. In other words, that is the decent work. Two type of factors that I mostly emphasize here that is, the first one is the first type is. The contextual variables that is marginalization and economic constraints and uh, the other you know the other variables the predict the the entities of the decent work that is psychological variables that is work volition and stability. so in my work in my work that i use i use these two type of uh, factors together that is economic constraints yeah no uh sorry i i I only use one economic uh, contextual variable that is economic constraints, but I used but I used two psychological variables that is work volition and credibility. I wanted to know that is the students' uh, perceptions of their future work can can create a conducive environment for their academic engagement and academic satisfaction so i link their future decent work perceptions with academic variables one is academic engagement and the other one is academic satisfaction i propose that the decent work perceptions have the positive impact or uh, associations with students academic engagement the Better decent work perception students perceive when they enter the labor market. The more engaged they will, you know, academically uh, performed and also achieved the 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 better academic satisfaction. Yeah, this is the the work. This is this is the theory or the models that I try to construct.
0: Mm-hmm. And what were the key findings that you found after collecting all the data and uh, you know running it uh, through your models?
1: Yeah, uh, the uh, the predictors of the predictor components of the PWT was supported here in my research. That is, you know, the uh, economic constraints have the negative associations with the students' future decent work perceptions. And also it has the negative associations with the students' career adaptability, but career adaptability have the positive impact on the students' future distant work perceptions and the work volition and the career adaptability, the associations between them are also positive. And the higher students' work volition is, the better future distant work perceptions they, you know, they, they engaged, uh, they, they, they perceive, I have to say that. Frankly, uh, all in all that is a predicted part of pwt was po- was supported but the future decent work perceptions positively predicted academic engagement this hypothesis was support was supported as well but uh, the future decent work perceptions did not directly linked to their academic satisfactions after the mediation test that I find that future decent work perceptions could, have the positivity associations with students' academic satisfaction through their academic engagement. Yeah, this is the, this is the key findings.
0: So is the idea that perhaps the, the prospects of work in the future are impacting students in their, in kind of their academic journey or the other way around?
1: Yeah, this is a good question. That is the in this study that I use the cross-sectional data. So uh, the things that you mentioned, probably you know, the more students engage academically, or the more students are satisfied with their academic performance, could have the positive impact about their future distance work perceptions. Yes, it has this type of you know relations here. Yeah, you are you are right. And and also I have to admit it that this is uh uh one of the major limitations of our research, because I did not use the you know the longitudinal data that if I collect future distant work perceptions before uh, I collect the academic satisfaction and academic engagement, probably I could answer your questions. But in this case, because I collect this type of data at the same time. Uh, probably the other way around may may exist
0: that's super interesting so some room for future research for sure <laughs>
1: yeah 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 future research future collaborations
0: yeah uh, definitely yeah um and perhaps de- definitely building on the study that you have done um so i'm i am curious i want to talk about um the the career piece a little bit more. As I mentioned, I was a career services advisor. Um, so yeah. I, you mentioned at the end of the article you suggested that career practitioners in higher education institutions can focus on helping students cultivate more career adaptability. Um, so more concern for their careers in the future, um, taking more control over managing those careers and kind of having the curiosity and confidence to do so. Uh, and that you kind of alluded to when talking about the first generation students challenges that um, some of kind of the other issues that they deal with when coupled with the the ca- career services um, that are provided at higher education institutions, because those services are lacking, it's not serving this group of students very well. Um, and I'm so I'm just curious to know if you have ideas of how this could work in practice. How can career services provided at higher education institutions really work on on helping students with their career adaptability, especially first generation students?
1: Yeah. And uh, I think the, the, the concern, control, curiosity and confidence, as you know, I mentioned in the in the literature, that there are the four important indicators of career Colleges and universities should create high-quality teaching environments and guide students to set, you know, to set their goals. And the guidance of this goal, students can gain satisfaction in learning and improve their learning abilities, thus promoting the development of related career ability skills, such as you know, the curiosity or confidence. In addition, I think that professionals in higher education institutions should guide students to a reasonably and moderately focus on performance goals and correct their misjudgment about their future career development based on their academic performance rankings. Um, as I mentioned before, that uh, these type of students are usually, you know, uh, at the position compared to their non-generational uh, uh, peers in terms of their academic performance, in their term, in their uh, academic, uh, you know, uh, rankings. But that, but this does not necessarily mean that they are still, you know, lag behind their peers. After the end of the labor market, so this type of I call it misjudgment should be cracked, and uh, it will you know after this type of you know interventions or this type of guidance education, it could help uh, students to make scientific and rational career decisions about the labor market, about the jobs, about themselves. The first year of college is crucial period for students to lay the foundation for their learning and development and uh, adapt to their major studies and the social life. During this period, On scientific study method on clear learning goals and on reasonable time allocation can have a significant impact on students' academic performance. Poor academic performance, you know, may to some extent erode students' self-confidence and, and lead to a lack of motivation. Probably, you know, this type of point could could, could partially answer your previous question. That is, maybe students have poor academic performance. In this case, it will lead to their, you know, poor decent work perceptions. Yeah, it's probably the case. So therefore, the professionals in higher education institutes should continue to explore the characteristic of students' career decisions at different time points. As I'm just a- I just mentioned about their, 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 their fresh year. What about the, the sophomore or junior or senior years? College and students also should conduct continuously tracking of students' career ability and the career development expectations and graphs, the development trends of students' career decisions. On one hand, that education researchers need to work together to find solutions for the learning connection between, you know, the years, you know, the university years. On the other, for the the students, especially for the first year college students who cannot overcome academic adaptation problems, college should provide targeted learning training and guidance to help them expand their knowledge horizons improving thinking abilities and create more opportunities for either the collaborative working or independent learning to you know to enhance their their career abilities or their career maturity thereby revising uh, reversing the dilemma of these disadvantages yeah this is the things i wanted to mention probably uh, the last thing I wanted to, you know, I you to mention that is during colleges supports can be provided by organization, by, by organizing role models. That is set examples of also the first generation college students who succeed either in colleges or in the labor markets and set examples for this type of uh, students for their fellows. And they have that, you know, they have the role models. And assist them to motivate this type of student to successfully complete their higher educations, to complete their universities, to complete their school-to-work transitions. Yes, Kelly.
0: Yes, yes. No, I'm here. Sorry, uh-huh. I I'm just I'm thinking. Um, it sounds like you are. It, it sounds like there's a role for the professors to play in this process because you mentioned yeah. uh, way far at the beginning of some of the contextual um factors around first generation students that 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 those interactions between students and their teachers is really important for their development and their academic performance and then the academic defor- performance and kind of confidence in in future work is performance is also linked am i understanding that correctly yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah you are you are right because these are the four you know four dimensions of career ability, career and the previous research have you know have found that credibility could help students to transition well to the university from the universities uh, to the workforce so uh, if 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 based on their you know empirical findings we could target these four type of, you know, components of creativity ability and come up with appropriate uh, interventions or design appropriate programs. And, uh, you know, ask the stakeholders, including the professors in universities or the labor markets and the students themselves to be engaged to enhance their, you know, their creative ability.
0: Yeah, oh, that's super interesting. Um, I should have asked this earlier, In China, are there uh, are there kind of career services offices? Are there set professionals who do help students who are they're not necessarily professors, but they but they just kind of work on the career aspect with students?
1: Yes, yes. We have this type of, uh, you know, we have this type of programs or the centers in my university, we call this type of centers that a lot of lot of uh, professionals, including the, you know, including the professors or the career guidance, guiders could work together to help students to achieve their success. But the importance, but the most interesting, ki- the most interesting kind of aspect is Probably these do not provide the exactly what the, what this type of students needs. They do not tailor the program that is most uh, uh, you know most appropriately, most suitably to this type of students. So here I called you know I call for the more research on it, the more practical guidance that is we could see whether this type of you know the, the programs that are suitable or most uh, you know, efficient, in delivering this type of service.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, Well, Dr. Ma, this has been very interesting to discuss your research and also the research, it sounds like you're kind of well, you're, you're at least calling for moving forward. Um, and in the interest of time, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. So we have one final question, which we ask all of our guests, which okay. is <laughs> uh, who is someone or what experience has been particularly influential in your higher education journey or the development of your professional research?
1: OK, OK. Uh, because I studied biology in my undergraduate program, and my master's degree was in higher education, my PhD uh, program focused on the sociology and the social policy. At the, at, at the same time, my roommates during my master's and the PhDs were not from the same major. They, uh, they are from the fields like economy, psychology, political science, and even the literatures. This interdisciplinary experience led me approach my academic careers with a problem, uh, uh, oriented mindset. The reason I choose to research employment is that it's closely related to my PhD uh, research directions, and I'm very interested in this topic. As for my own, you know, uh, employment experience, I took a gap year before pursuing my PhD degree. During that year, I did various jobs such as, you know, teaching uh, English in an international school and starting my own business These experiences made me very interested in the the structures of labor markets and also the individual experiences within it. So I'm eager to continue researching in these directions. And also I wanted to hear more voices uh, from from you, that's uh, the international readers. Yeah, Kelly.
0: That's great. That's a great way to kind of wrap up and, and learn a little bit more about yourself and what has driven your interests. Um, so thank you for sharing that and thank you in general for joining us on the podcast today
1: thank you Kelly thank you for having me here if the you know the the audience or if the listeners have more questions about my research please feel free to contact me
0: definitely we'll be sure to place uh, your contact information in the show notes
1: yeah thank you thank you thank you so much Kelly
0: In our next episode, we will be speaking with Anna Annemetz, Research Associate, and Dr. Nikki Schur, Associate Professor of Economics, both of whom conduct research at the University College London Social Research Institute. Our discussion will focus on both England and Hungary, looking at the labor market returns of higher education to first and family graduates. If you liked what you listened to on Thesis today, please follow the podcast and leave us a rating or a comment. Links to relevant work by our guests and their contact information can be found in the show notes. Today's thesis episode does not take position on the issues discussed on the podcast. Opinions expressed on this episode are solely those of the guests or hosts. This podcast is produced and edited by Ekaterina Korinska, Ayla Rubinstein, Tracy Waldman, Kelly Davis, and Maria Angeles Hidalgo. Original music is produced by Petter Strom. Thanks for listening to Thesis. We'll talk to you next time.